Here it is, again. And it's cold. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Demo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act who at first may shock you. Let's go! Hey, everybody. I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Welcome to the ecstasy edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, new wave, and post-punk, 1976 to 1986. Well, this episode is pretty special. It is, as you said, is the Ecstasy edition. This is part one because Ecstasy's got so many albums out. But we're going to do what we can by listening to the first seven of their track of their albums. And uh, we're going to have a great time doing it. By the way, we've got a little surprise for you guys. Um, but first, I think we should probably dip into a little bit of music. How about we start up with This Is Pop? As you know, Rob, I am so excited about this episode. This is this is probably the most excited you're going to see me <laughs> on a deep dive episode. Yeah. Um, as evidenced by the last couple of episodes where when I go back and listen to it, every time we start talking about ecstasy, my, the... Um, the pitch in my voice goes up like an octave. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's that's so, Joseph's way of squealing with excitement. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, huge ecstasy fan. Um, yeah. I think that that by um, by the time that Oranges and Lemons came out in uh, the late 80s, I was my ecstasy collection as far as the the original studio albums was complete and since then i've always owned the entire collection of ecstasy albums uh now here in the states certainly i have bumped into people who are familiar with ecstasy like you when i first first met you I have never had a conversation with anyone who was familiar with their entire catalog, let alone owned every album. Yeah. So, all of my life, I've when it when it's come to ecstasy, I have been the smartest guy in the room. I am so excited to announce that that ends today, <laughs> because we have um, a very exciting guest. His name is Mark Fisher. He is the host of a podcast dedicated to the brilliance of ecstasy. Welcome, Mark. 
Well, thank you very much. That's a lovely introduction. And yes, you, you're, I've had exactly the same experience as you being this person. In fact, only only a couple of days ago, somebody said, oh, I I'm, I'm, know I got this wrong, but I told somebody that you were a, a, did the podcast for 10cc. Um, and, <laughs> you know, and sometimes you get ACDC, sometimes you get um, uh, in excess. <laughs> so I'm glad to know that you actually know who we're talking about. That's a good start. <laughs> so uh, tell us the name of your podcast. It's it's what do you call that noise? The XTC podcast. I said it in a quite a pod- podcasty sort of way, then, didn't I? <laughs> Great. Welcome to the show. So, Rob, yeah. um, this name is uh, kind of rings a bell for me. Um, yeah, like, well, almost like we just heard that <laughs> phrase. <laughs> as as you're making reference to this is pop, yeah, it comes right out of uh, the song. So, Mark, um, I. I have so many questions, <laughs> so many questions about your podcast, and um, I'm sure that Rob does too. Yeah. I have been enjoying, I've been listening for, um, hi, probably not, probably not too long after you started, which has been about a year and a half now. Um, and Rob, you're new, but mine, but my understanding is you've been binging the last I, week. Is that right? Yeah. You know, um, last week or so I've been listening to the episodes and, uh, yesterday I went back and listened to some of my favorites, uh, uh favorite episodes of your podcast. Yeah. Mark. And <laughs> even I haven't done that. <laughs> oh man. No, it's, it's fun because I tell you there's going back and listening to them. I noticed, uh, there were some things that I missed the, the first time around, but, um, I really enjoyed the guests that you have on. Of course, the guests are iconic uh, in, in many cases. Um, and and just the fun, interesting things you do with uh, with the formatting and, and the topics that you bring up. So well, thank you very uh, much. It was really, really enjoyable. Great. Thank you. It's really fun. I mean, it is, it is great fun to do, and it's a huge indulgence. It's like my uh, early a fanboy self as a teenager uh, still in in my mid-50s still doing this uh, same thing so it's great but i'm great to know that you're enjoying it it is time to dive into the main attraction which of course is ecstasy itself and uh so let's talk a little ecstasy 101 so let's start out with the top five spotify ecstasy songs Um, Number one is Making Plans for Nigel. Number two is Dear God. Number three, Senses Working Overtime. Number four, Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead. And number five is Generals and Majors. Um, So not not super surprising to me or probably to you, Mark, that these are in the top five. Um, But there is something notable about these these songs and a first for us here on the podcast um i wonder if either of you know what that is no no (laughs) i need need another clue i think (laughs) okay so this is the first band that we have covered where we've looked at the the top five songs on spotify where Every song is off of a different album, so that is right, Rob. We've every other band that we've we've looked at um, that has not been the case. I mean, so I'm thinking back to like the Cars. 
top five songs were off of two albums. Um, like The Saints, four out of the five top five songs were off of one album. So um, I think that this is uh, worthy of note because it just goes to show how well-rounded um, ecstasy is. And it also it is also one of the reasons why I know you're going to try to do it, but why it's so difficult to to, to rank their material because <laughs> because there is just that spread of quality across. It's not like there was a you, you know they had a peak and then went into a trough afterwards. It's it's the good stuff throughout. Okay, so let's move on to just a real quick ecstasy 101 history lesson. We'll try and make this as brief as possible so that we can get to the good stuff. Um, so ecstasy first formed in 1972, but they didn't actually release an LP until 1978. Um, there are two core band members that that run throughout the entire history of of ecstasy there are uh, i believe mark and you certainly correct me if i'm wrong they're the only two members that appear on every official ecstasy studio album and that's andy partridge and colin molding is is that how it's pronounced that's, yeah that's right yeah and true uh, yes <laughs> yeah and they are they are responsible for maybe 99% of the lead vocals and songwriting duties. Does that sound right as well? I'd, I'd t I, well, actually, yes, with the exception of, of, of Barry Andrews, who, who wrote some of the songs on, on the second album, uh, Go To. Okay. Uh, but, but otherwise, all the, all the material is Colin and, and Andy. And if you hear Andy singing, then it's an Andy song. And if you hear Colin singing, it's a Colin song. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the other members. I know there's a Barry, there's a Terry, there's a Dave. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Terry Chambers was the, I think the band's, the, uh, the nucleus of the band was Colin Moulding and Terry Chambers. Uh, Terry Chambers, the drummer, Colin, the bass player, who were joined by Andy Partridge in the kind of pre, uh, you know, very, very, very early days. Uh, and then they had that trio was stood together until 1982 um, and with different people came and went before they were signed when they were signed they had just taken on a keyboard player Barry Andrews who went on to form Shriekback and uh, has had quite an interesting career uh, as well and and really established the sound of the first two albums because as well as Andy Partridge's syncopated guitar, there was this sort of weird clapped-out organ sound that Barry produced very distinctively. He left, it was, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen sort of thing for the band to have three songwriters. And so he left after the second album to be replaced by Dave Gregory, who came in as a guitarist, so the sound changed completely, and I think we'll probably be talking about that. And and then and then because the band stopped touring after Andy Partridge uh, suffered uh, a sort of breakdown on stage in 1982, they uh, that became a strain for, for for Terry Chambers, who was the drummer who loved playing live and and had less of a, a job to do as as he wasn't a songwriter. So he left, and then they had a succession of of re, re, you know temporary drummers af after that, and and then they effectively became a trio with 
Dave Gregory, Andy Partridge and, and Colin Moulding. Dave Gregory didn't play on the very, very last album, uh, but which was Wasp, Wasp Star in 2001, I think. Uh, but otherwise, yes, your su summary is correct. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly want to talk more about the history of, of ecstasy, but we will kind of pepper it in in the chronologically mm -hmm. appropriate place as we go along. So let's um, move on to rankings. And um, Rob and I will give our rankings and then you will you will chime in. My understanding is you probably won't give us a, uh, like an official ranking, but you'll just chime in with some thoughts. Okay, um, yeah. And so Rob, would yeah. you like to go first, or do you want me to go sure. first? No, no, let me go first. Um, okay, let's do it. So curious about this. I, I have a prediction. Oh, okay, I, I I predict that um, there is a very good chance that your ranking. Of course, we're only talking about the first seven right, studio right. albums. Yeah. Uh, so those are those are the only ones in consideration. Uh, but my suspicion is that your list is going to be something of a mirror image of mine. Ooh. I could be wrong, but okay. that is that is my gut feeling. So okay. lay it on me. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and start with number seven. Yep. Um, my least favorite. Uh, number seven, I have English Settlement from 1982. Number six is Mummer from 1983. Number five is Drums and Wires. Number four is Big Express. Number three is White Music. Number two is Black Sea. And number one is Go To. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I'm, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing at that because it's, 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 it is the inverse of, of what many people think. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm still floored that Go To is not as well liked as I think it should be. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. Okay, so I pretty much called it not not a not a uh, an exact one for one mirror image of my list, but um, pretty close. So number seven for me is White Music. Number six is The Big Express. Number five is Mummer. Number four is Go To. And then the next three are a tie for number one, but I had to do a tiebreaker, so I just kind of looked at the songs that really stood out to me. It's like what I would consider nines and tens and what percentage of the album um, that made up, which of course works to the disadvantage of English Settlement. So English Settlement is my number three. Number two is my drums and wire is drums and wires, and number one is Black Sea. That's a good list. Nice. Yeah, both good lists. I mean, there are no wrong answers. That's a nice thing, isn't it? <laughs> that is the correct thing to say. You got it. You're absolutely right there. <laughs> and I, I came in with Drums and Wires. 1979 was when I first got into them. And, and it was the Christmas 1979 that I got Drums and Wires. And a bit like you were saying just before we started, Joseph, that you then went, you know, you, you wanted to get everything. And I remember going on holiday to, it was a, like a Christmas family weekend break down to, to, to London and going into Virgin Records and just buying everything because I just got yep. so excited by this band. So then, you know, my collection started at that point when I, when I got the first two albums. So I've got a, a lot of sympathy on a personal level to Drums and Wires because it was my entry point and it's a sort of good blueprint for what they did next. But then you've also got, in my own history, the excitement of waiting for Black Sea to, to come out because that was the first oh, one yeah. that, I, that I waited for. 
uh, and then you know the expansiveness of English settlement and and, and all the rest of it to the curio- the curiousness of mama so it's, it's why I find it so difficult to to come up with a definitive list myself nice okay excellent so 1978 sees the debut album of ecstasy it's called white music um, and it had a uh, a moderate hit uh, with Statue of Liberty. Okay. Yep. We have heard um, a few songs off of this album already uh, in our January, February of 1978 episode. We uh, featured Newtown Animal in a Furnished Cage and Neon Shuffle. And then, of course, at the top of this show, we heard This Is Pop. Um, this is, uh, as you know, my least favorite uh, ecstasy album of this period and probably one of my two overall least favorite ecstasy albums, period. It just it feels to me like they are, I mean, I love the energy and they've got a ton of ideas. Um, and it, But it just feels to me like they don't quite have the experience necessary to to kind of wrangle those ideas as as you know as depthly as they could have maybe a couple of albums later but i i i certainly love the energy of this mark were they ever considered a punk band or was it was it uh, more like new wave from the start with them i th- i think probably new wave from the start, but it's such a difficult thing. This definition thing, isn't it? They were certainly ah, it is. They, they were certainly picked up on that wave of of, of punk energy when everybody, you know, the, all the record companies were desperate to sign these new, young, uh, lively, fast-paced uh, bands who were all considered punk. But it, you know, even it's, it's true if you think of of so many bands that were labelled punk, whether it's Elvis Costello or Ian Jury and the Blockheads, you know, they were sophisticated musical <laughs> uh, musicians, you know, they were they were not um, uh, they, they were not doing what the, the prog people had done before, but they, they were not kind of, they hadn't just sort of fallen off the back of a lorry, they were they, they were sort of proper musicians who knew what they were doing so so uh, I, I think um, they capitalised on the punk wave but whether they were actually well we're talking about a song called this is pop i think ultimately they felt that they were pop so rob um what song did you choose for us to listen to off of this album today i know you're you're a a much bigger fan of this album than I am, so I deferred to you. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, I do think it doesn't get enough love. Um, when I first heard this album, I was really excited, and and uh, I don't think I had really listened. I, I'd never listened to it at length, and when I first did, I just was was thrilled. Um, you know, I was really tempted to pick all along the Watchtower. Um, <laughs> for joseph specifically uh it's a very unique version of it but uh, you know honestly i didn't care for it too much. well yeah. i went with something a little poppier this time and uh with some very interesting synth i, I picked i'm bugged i'm bugged you like insects in your brand new sun specs i'm 
Now, Rob, you'll be happy to hear that I am slowly, ever so slowly, warming up a little bit more to this album. Um, and I, I'm bugged is is one that I've spent some time because we've been living with this playlist for the last week, um, and warming up to and kind of wondering why I didn't I didn't single it out earlier and you know I like it but I think I like it because it it actually feels like it would be more in place on go to than this album it's got that sort of energy which is what I like about it um so yeah I agree I agree with you there definitely has that go to feel yeah yeah uh, Andy has often to- spoken latterly about his synesthesia, which is the tendency to to to, to hear music and and see pictures, and this uh, that sort of melding of the senses. If you if you analyze XTC's music uh, through that vision, you realize that that's what he does a lot of the time. And yeah. here's a sort of prototypical version of it, where a song that is about bugs and being bugged uh, actually sounds like bugs. It's sort of spiky, and and you yeah. can just you can sort of get that vision of of, of little spiky, irritable uh, insects uh, running all over you. And I think that's a that, that that's a a, a, a way into understanding the way that he thinks. Okay, well, speaking of go-to, I think it's about time that we move on to Ecstasy's second album, also released, released in um, 1978. We just covered it last episode. It's, as far as I can tell, Ecstasy is, is kind of disowned this album. Is, is that, like, official, or is that... Did I get that wrong? But I, I've never seen it pop up in like a compilation or anything like that as far as like a best of or a retrospective or or anything like that. Uh, yeah. Do you have a sense of what their official stance on this album is? Um, not, not 100%, but I, th- I think that they they were conscious that the band was pulling in different directions. There were uh, the story is that Barry Andrews, who was the relative newcomer to the band, the keyboard player, hadn't written any songs on white music. Suddenly appeared, I think, with five new songs, and the, the, they, on the one hand, wanted to accommodate him and didn't want to discourage somebody who was a member from contributing. But on the other hand, you, you know, the band is then likely to pull in three di- uh, three directions. Uh, some people like Barry Andrews's songs. Um, quite a lot of people don't. Uh, I, I quite, uh, quite like them, but uh, but uh, I, I, and so they probably think it's uh, inconsistent from that reason, and and I think it's that sort of second and uh, second album syndrome. And uh, Rob obviously disagrees with this, but second al- and album syndrome in the sense that white music was basically their live set that they've been playing for several years before that, uh, ready you know ready and 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 then it. It really was the same year that that Go To came out, and I think, for example, that Life Is Good in the Greenhouse was virtually written in the studio, or it was it was re- rehearsed in the studio. So it was uh, a lot of very new and uh, unworked material. Uh, so possibly from the band's point of view, they might be less. Uh, they might feel more of a formative work for them. Now, speaking of Barry Andrews. Um, I assume that my weapon was one of his songs. That's right. Yes. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we spent a lot of time talking about this yeah. song. It is, it is extraordinary in um, 
the sense that it is the most non-sounding ecstasy song that ever appears on an ecstasy album as far as i'm concerned it is it is jarring i, th- I think you're, and i think that's why a lot of fans dislike this album because it does sound like it's coming from from somewhere else although i sometimes think if you if you sort of if you if you like strip away the song itself but think about the arrangement then there's mm-hmm. uh you know there's the, still the same interesting guitar lines and and, mm-hmm. and and keyboard lines and so on but uh yeah. Yeah, it's coming from a different place yeah very very left after this album right that's right, yes, yes. Yeah. Rob, um, we, uh, you have already picked out a couple of songs from this album that we've listened to, but you, you have plenty of favorites. What's another favorite? Um, well, actually, uh, Buzz City Talking, I thought, was a really great song. Why makes you wonder Andy Partridge was the was the key songwriter and, and actually throughout their career was the most prolific songwriter. Uh, Colin was a little bit late. To, Colin Moulding was a little bit late in starting to write songs, uh, although then had many of the big hits for, for the band. Uh, and uh, his early material sounds, I think even by his own admission, sounds like he's imitating Andy. You know, Andy, Andy Partridge has set the blueprint. That's a punky, spiky, uh, nervous, fast... Uh, thing and and so to me it sounds uh, it, it sounds like Colin imitating Andy. He hasn't fully come into his own uh, as 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 a songwriter at at this point. So Mark, what is what 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 is your pick off of this album? Um, I think I went for Battery Brides. And, yes, and and actually as much as the. The, the, the version on the record. I'm also thinking of if you look on YouTube, there are live versions of Battery Brides where they get into this sort of improvisatory, hallucinatory yeah. uh, rhythm. They just it's, they're, they're, there's this a very dubs kind of sound, and they uh, the, the the joke among the band actually was that the that they had sort of shorthand names for the for, for their songs, and and the, the name that they used for this song was Bjorn Borg, the, the tennis player, uh, because the bass line goes <laughs> Bjorn Borg, Bjorn Borg. <laughs>
Okay, so let's uh, move on to the third release, um, released in 1979, um, an album called Drums and Wires. This is where they, they really start to get traction as far as uh, becoming more popular, at least in the UK. Um, this was their... Uh, mostly due to the the song making plans for nigel and when i talk to people here in the states and they're familiar with ecstasy this is nine out of ten times this is this is their connection to ecstasy is this song that's right and it's the same in the uk as well and and it's interesting actually even the name making plans for nigel has sort of gone into if you, if you like folklore, that it's any time anybody called Nigel is in the news, whether it's a football player or a politician, then newspapers can't help themselves from, from using the title Making Plans for Nigel. And I'm pretty sure that many people, I wouldn't be surprised anyway, that if many people uh, use that expression without realising that there was a song attached to it, it's almost like a, a, a phrase that is, has gone, a saying, an idiom. <laughs> Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's actually kind of cool. <laughs> so this uh, this album, Drums and Wires, is Pitchfork's uh, number 38 best album of the 70s and Paste Magazine's number uh, 31 best album of the 70s. Um, I, uh, this is one of my very, very favorite ecstasy albums. Uh, I love just about every song. Um and the song that I picked to feature is is actually not one of my very favorite off of the albums. I, I kind of gravitate a little bit more towards the the lovely, more delicate stuff. Like um, When You Near Me, I Have Difficulty and um, Ten Feet Tall. Uh, but I wanted to feature Real by Real because I felt like it is a um, a really good representation and ambassador for this album in a whole. I mean, I feel like it really kind of captures the general groove of what this album is about, whereas those first two songs I, I mentioned are a little bit more of an anomaly for that album. And the, the other song that we're gonna feature is is as well. So I thought Real by Real would, would give anyone who's not familiar with this album a real good sense of kind of where uh, Drums and Wires is coming from. Yeah, I, th I think there's two things to be said. One is that this uh, album, it, it doesn't, it isn't just that they'd got rid of a very distinctive keyboard player and brought in a, a brilliant guitarist so that they sounded different. But it was also like the, the standard of songwriting leapt up a notch. And, and we were just talking enthusiastically about Battery Brides. But, you know, the, if you look at the lyrics of Battery Brides, it's, it, there's not very many of them. <laughs> Whereas here, Andy Partridge is is tackling uh, the idea of a surveillance society, I suppose, and it, which is in itself an ambitious and unlikely thing to, to, to do. But he's doing it in a you know within the confines of a pop song it's energetic it's tight it you know played well live uh, and in, in a, the other thing i would say about this whole album is that it was recorded the the, the producer was steve lillywhite and engineer was hugh padgham 
who went on to, to to you know to cultivate the to be behind the sound of 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 really the 80s you know they worked with uh, u2 and uh, came up with that sort of uh, phil collins uh, famous uh, drum fill sound and they were they were perfecting that t- technique on on drums and wires and the sound of terry chambers the drummer is is just fantastic it becomes even more fantastic on on, on black sea but there's uh, and, and as a consequence of that you can really hear a band locking into it in terms of their arrangements and their playing they really lock into the, the, each other's playing so you can hear the bass you can hear the drums you can hear the, the, the guitar and it's all like clockwork and that this is the sort of good example of, of that so yeah i agree with you on that Question uh, regarding uh, regarding the the addition of David Gregory. Um, now he he was a guitarist and a pretty good guitarist actually, but he played keyboards too, right? Did he play keyboards on this album? I know he's re- replacing a keyboardist. Did he did he actually play no, the and keyboards it, on? And that was such a bold thing to do, and you know maybe a commercially potentially commercially suicidal you've been you've been known for this one thing and then and then you go in a completely different direction which is sort of true of the you know typical of the willfulness if you like of, of the band they follow their artistic instincts and and no he he played keyboards increasingly on 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 later records i'm pretty sure that he didn't play anything significant anyway on on, on drums and wires so rob um Mark sent us his picks um, a little bit before you made your picks. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering if that influenced the the fact that uh, you did not pick Complicated Game as your choice off of this album. Because <laughs> if ever what, there was a song that leaped out at me as yeah. a Rob song, it is Complicated ga- Game. I was gobsmacked that this was yeah. not your choice. I, I, I do love that song. Um, I, I, I enjoy it quite a bit. It's, it's actually, I, you know, when I'm going through my list... And I'm marking down the songs I like. This one was circled and underlined and had a big star by it, um, because it is definitely a Rob song. But uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I just I passed on it for some reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, there's there are a number of extraordinary 
uh, things about this song in my mind. Uh, this is probably, if I had to pick just one song off of this album, this would be the song. This is a, an absolutely iconic song as far as I'm concerned. I am astonished that it doesn't show up in like every movie that has a sequence where the, somebody's going through like a drug-induced adult crazed sequence <laughs> and also kind of bold in its uh, form in the sense that at the time they were a working band they were playing as we were talking about the, uh, they were pe playing to punk even if you if you don't call XTC uh, punk they were playing to sort of punky pogoing uh, crowds and this song starts so quiet and you can barely hear what he's singing he's almost <laughs> mumbling and then it just builds and builds and builds and builds and you can imagine me uh, I would have been 15 at the time of listening to this and it's very I mean the sentiment is quite ad adolescent really just sort of being angry at the world and so it was perfect sort of yeah. thing for, 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 for me as an adolescent um, uh, ch channeling the, the you know your existential anger well uh, the other extraordinary thing about this song is um, the approach that Andy Partridge uh, takes with his vocals so I think that that uh, a large part obviously a large part of my love for ecstasy comes from Andy Partridge's vocals and his style. And I would describe his style as very angular. And what I mean by that is that he plays off of and sometimes plays against um, the, the, the rhythm and the melody of the music to, a, to, to absolutely brilliant effect. Um, so on a visual level um if if the if andy partridge was a person or if his vocals were a person then the music would be like a trampoline right so mm -hmm. he would like make contact and then shoot off and then come down and then bounce even higher this song is one of the um rare instances where his approach is exactly the opposite so if this song is a person, then the music is like waves and he's just kind of floating along as and rolling with the waves um, to excellent effect. But um, because he he does that so infrequently, it, it's another thing that really helps this song stand out from the rest of their catalog. Little boy asked me should he put his foot upon the land. Little boy asked me should he put his foot upon the right. I, 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 I said it really doesn't matter where you put your bunker socks on that so come along a hooping and it's always been the same. It's just a Okay, let's um, move on to my favorite 
uh, Ecstasy album, a 1980s Black Sea. Um, the second song, Ecstasy song, that I was ever familiar with was Respectable Street, which is featured in one of our favorite uh, new wave documentaries, Erg, mm -hmm. A Music War. That's how I became familiar with that's, this song. Great live version of it. That's where uh, that's why I first heard it too, and and definitely it's a song that takes me back. I mean, yeah. this album had a moderate-sized hit with uh, Sergeant Rock is going to help me. Um, it is Pitchfork Magazine's number forty-one best album of the eighties, uh, and we have also listened to. Um, living through another Cuba. So, Mark, I don't know if I mentioned this to you or not, but uh, when we began the podcast, we, we had a bonus episode where we listed our 10 all-time favorite new wave bands, and Ecstasy is my number two behind um, the Talking Heads. And um, this was the song that we we featured because it was the first ecstasy song that I ever heard um, well, off of a it, uh, different yeah, that, compilation. Uh -huh. Interesting entry point, yeah. 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 And that was that was the song that made me start seeking out ecstasy. Um, love, love that song. Um, so we did hear that um, in season one of the show. And... This is this is such a solid album. Just so consistent. The quality level is so high. It it has a particular energy that is slightly different than any other ecstasy album that, that really just kind of clicks for me. What you hear is the sound of a live band being at their most muscular and and, and, and powerful. They've been touring for you know, uh, however many years by this point, and and they're they're just so tight and so on every single song, and and at the same time, it's I mean that was true of the previous albums as well, but they're also expanding their the ambition of their 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 songs, their songwriting, uh, and the two things uh, just come together so well. It's just I, I use the word clockwork before, but it's it, this is true of Black Sea above all albums, I think. Yeah, but to be clear, it's not clockwork as far as like them just doing it by rote you know they're yeah. not phoning it in i mean the energy level right. is so high on this um which is part of i mean it's really the the perfect combination of the attitude and the energy of a go-to but uh, you know, they're they're just they're a little bit more seasoned, so they they know how to to execute their ideas um, a little bit better, and it's just so so consistent. So let's listen to Respectable Street. Oh, really, one of my very favorite ecstasy songs.
not a single song on this album I don't like. And and quite a few of them are singles off of the album, so they they were out there. I mean, it's I don't know. It's just a, it's just a great album. This album is is probably close to be. I mean, it ties with I think my second place, but it's close to it's close up there. It's it's it, it's pushing for number one even. It's just mm-hmm. a great album. Hmm. Um. So, Mark, you picked "Burning with Optimism's Flame," and I thought that um this is an excellent example to point out. I was talking a little bit earlier about how typically uh, Andy Partridge's vocals uses the music like a trampoline. Mm -hmm. This is like exhibit A. This is a great (laughs) example of him doing that to absolutely brilliant effect. Yeah, and I'm indebted to David Yazbek, who is uh, people might know he's 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 best known these days as a, as a writer of Broadway musicals. But David Yazbek is is a huge XDC fan, and in fact, um, Andy Partridge collab- uh, produced one of, of of his solo albums. But uh, David Yazbek, I interviewed him for my book, and he just uh, made this brilliant observation, which is to do with this idea of synesthesia and Andy Partridge seeing and and hearing the same things, and uh, he. He says that this this song was one of the reasons that he got into XDC because uh, the line reaching to the ground and all around like a Navajo blanket is set to a, 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 a melody which is itself reaching to the ground and all around like a Navajo blanket. It sort of spins and one and it doesn't. You know, where is this thing going to end? That the, the melody is the melody. It's. It, uh, I think one reason you often don't get you don't get that many um, distinctive cover versions of XTC songs because the arrangement <laughs> and the song itself is is. I know you don't like cover versions anyway, but there, it's it's because the arrangement and the the um, the song itself are somehow. Uh, you can't extract them. They're, 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 it's not like a sequence of chords. It's the whole thing is 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 holistically created. And uh, I think this is a great example. It's sat, this is a song about optimism, and it sounds optimistic. And you just want to get up and and uh, jump. Never seen her growing all that bright she's growing like some aurora from her head is growing, reaching to the ground and all around like an avalanche. Never heard her singing now she's gently ringing like copper winds on water. happen often but I have had a couple of times where people have come to me and said you know I I've heard a song or two of ecstasy I I like what I hear where should I start this is well I mean I guess it depends on the personality but this is typically my my go-to like introduction point um it was not my introduction point as far as the the whole album, but I wish it had been. I think that my my ecstasy fandom would have started a couple of years earlier if this had been my my first album as opposed to the other album that uh, was my first album, which I will discuss when we get to it. 
Okay, so let's um, move on to uh, their 1982 release, English Settlement. So correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but this is where Ecstasy stops touring, right? Yeah, but it's interesting because it was at the point of which it was recorded, they were still a live band. Uh, they were starting to play songs. Uh, they were starting to play songs from it. Uh, Senses working over time, um, Snowman uh, on on live on stage. Just at the point when they stopped. So, to all intents and purposes, it's their last uh, live album. If you, if you, uh, last album as a live group, if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, when they wrote these songs, they were thinking, oh, we're gonna be we need to be able to perform them live, which exactly, yeah, obviously yeah. affects the choices that they make when they're when they're recording the songs. Um, this is Pitchfork's number uh, 46 best album of the 80s. Uh, big hit off of it was Senses Working Overtime. Uh, I this is a I think technically, it's a double album, right? It was released as as two two records. Is that correct? In the UK, it was, and then there was a sort of truncated American version, and I think America might have then caught up. But yes, uh, in the UK, it was a double album, which which in itself is amazing because if you look at their workload in those early years, they were touring virtually continuously and somehow they had time to you know not only record but also write a double album's worth of of, of material that is as interesting as we're going to say uh, uh, talk about and it's just phenomenal the 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 output i'm just thinking about this album in that it is it is my least favorite album of this era yeah um, and and i've read a lot of people really love this album and so it's got me wondering, like, what is it that I'm missing? Why do I not like this album as much? I, I think that, uh, and it's hard for me to think back then, because when I clicked with Ecstasy, I just went out and, like, bought all of their albums that were out at the time at once. And so it wasn't... You know, I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably should have, like, doled them out. Um, so I think that for me, it took a long time for me to really notice this album because it's, it's, it's a little more subtle as far as the energy yeah. of it. Yeah, for sure. And um, creeps up on... It's, it's definitely, from a narrative point of view, um, their most sophisticated... Uh, released to date for sure um, I I have come to really like it but but like you I have seen many instances where this has been cited as as people's favorite ecstasy albums maybe I just need to keep listening to it yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm going to think it because for me, I was I was encountering these albums in real time yeah <laughs> and so and so it uh, it, I, I think I, I, it, it would be very, very, very high in my in my list if, uh, as an album. Uh, for, for, I think for all of the reasons you're saying, the the, the subtlety, the the folk sounds, the the, the adventurousness, right. the the themes, uh, uh, and the melodicism, they were becoming, they were getting better and better as songwriters all the time. 
Yeah, speaking of melodicism, um, your pick is Yacht Dance. If you hadn't picked it, I would have picked it. <laughs> um, it this, this song has always stood out to me um, because it's Ecstasy doing the song so well, but it is... So I have always considered Ecstasy, at least through the 70s and 80s, as... I would describe their music as somewhat bombastic. And I mean that in the best possible way. You know, they're, they're not like shy violets, you know, they're, they're really aggressive in their sound and their ideas. And this is, this is surprisingly delicate for ecstasy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they do it so well. I mean, if, if you were to come to me saying, Hey, we're, we're doing a, uh, a movie and we want a song in the background for the scene and it has to be an ecstasy song of children dancing around a, a maypole uh, first of all there wouldn't be a lot of obvious choices but this would be the one that that really would fit i mean it is it is probably there at least up through the night or up until the 90s, I would say that it's their sort of frothiest, bubbliest song, uh, which I kind of love. And it's got, it's, I, I've just written down pretty and poetic. It's the, the lyrics yeah. are just really beautiful. Yeah, and I'm just thinking that, that this is true of all of the songs that we've been talking about. One of the things that makes them an interesting band is that it's uh, a there aren't that many just straight love songs they're writing songs about the neighbors in respectable street or feeling about optimism or or um uh, and 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 in in the case of this one uh, it's it's a metaphor so so it's it's imagining two people uh, dancing on the tops of the sails uh, uh, tops of the waves and it's and it's uh, you know so so even a love song is is done in an imaginative and an unusual and an arresting uh, way, which brings you know the the, the the beauty of the relationship alive. song we're going to listen to off of this album is a song called Fly on the Wall. And I'm wondering if either of you uh, were a little puzzled about why I picked this song. <laughs> uh, because this is not my favorite song off of this album. It is not... Um, I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's a, a delightful song. Um, but it is... It, it's probably in... Would be like in the lower half of the songs as far as my feelings towards it. 
Because it's, um, I find it an unremarkable song, but it's an excellent example of what is what makes this album remarkable. Really, this album and the two albums before it, which is, this is Ecstasy's version of like a throwaway filler song. This is like the floor for this album. I mean, the songs, all the, all the rest of the songs just go up from here as far as I'm concerned. And this is still a pretty darn great song. And yeah. Rob, you you and I have been listening to a lot of albums that were that have been released in 1977 1978 how many albums have we listened to where if this song was on that album it would have been the high point of the album <laughs> yeah no doubt absolutely <laughs> I, I i i like i like the boldness of 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 this is a song called fly on the wall so it's imagining the fly on the wall looking at it again it's a bit like uh, real by real isn't it the sort of surveillance society and and so they 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 put uh, colin molding's voice through a distorting effect yeah. which means that he sounds like he's a buzzing fly <laughs> himself and it's you know that just seems like a really brave thing to do for a song that actually has a, a really very catchy melody and so on but it's sort of almost like let's make this more ugly than than we need to <laughs> you, bring, you bring up you bring up his voice sounding like a buzzing fly there's also that keyboard sound that, that yeah, yeah. just buzzes and it, it's really cool the way that I mean it's a well put together song surprised that that this was the song you chose um and i i will be honest that that uh the first time i listened to it i wasn't so crazy about it and i've heard it over the past i don't know two weeks a couple of times now and, and i actually kind of kind of like it not it it's it's one of those songs that gets stuck in your ear yeah and uh and and yeah i i do think it's a it's a very it's a very interesting song and uh, I'm I'm going to be looking forward to, to digging into this entire album more later, and uh, coming. I'm sure I'm going to come to love it just like everybody else. Okay, uh, I guess that means that we move on to Mummer, released in 1983. Um, yeah, Rob, how are how are you feeling about this this album? Not one of my favorites, I have to add. Um, it's I like it, it. I like it a little bit better than English Settlement. <laughs> you know, um, I noticed that that the singles on this album are probably my least favorite songs on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do think it's got some gems on there. I I actually I actually do like a good handful of the songs so i've always had a almost like a secret love of of, of mama partly because i think i was aware that it, it, historically it hasn't been among fans favorites they've they've gone for 
Black Sea or English settlement or you know whatever. And and uh, but there's some haunting quality about it that has always captivated me. And I have noticed on just on social media recently a sort of wave of of, of support from people saying no, this is their most uh, underrated one. I think it, um, it, it, it this was the first one they did. Uh, in the absence of, of Terry Chambers, they were no longer uh, a live band, so there was a lot of uncertainty there. As I remember, I think there were more than one producer in, involved in the, in the thing. So there's, uh, so in in theory, there was a lot of things uh, going against it, uh, and it's certainly more uh, bucolic, more uh, uh, exploratory than the, the maybe than than uh, the the forthrightness of of some of the other stuff. But I think I've got a lot of time for it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, so um, obviously the fact that they are they are burrowing into the studio at this point um, really affects uh, how this album turns out. Uh, so with this album and the next album, it's this is my take on it, uh, and I, I may be way off base, and if I am, then please correct me. But so. Ecstasy, they they are they've never been, as I mentioned before, never been like uh, blushing violets, you know, shy little wallflowers. They are they've always been very ambitious, um, very aggressive as far as trying out new things, and uh, but even for them, they are swinging big on these two albums. I mean every. Every song is, they are swinging for the fences and sometimes they're connecting and sometimes they aren't, in my opinion. Um, and when when they connect, it is an absolute home run. I, uh, for this album, I love Side One and uh, the first song of Side Two. Uh, and then, and, and those are the ones that feel like they're just absolutely connecting with the ball they're putting all of their weight into it and it's just absolute home runs but there are a lot of like whiffs in here for me <laughs> okay so uh we need to actually listen to some music off of this album um i picked wonderland because it is it is a one of a kind ecstasy song um, I know this is a very polarizing um, song for them, and I think that given that this is ecstasy, this was a uh, a very brave and bold choice to go in this direction. Um, my sense is, Rob, that you you probably, if I had to guess, you kind of hate this song, right? I I, I kind of do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like I said, as much of the well, for me, much of the first half of this whole album is not. Not, I'm not great with. So, um, but yeah, Wonderland is probably my least favorite song on the album. Can't you see? Love and affection. When it's in your direction. Writing your mysterious wonderland. No first come. Gentlemen, you think you've sown love in your 
I have burned up a lot of the time that we've allotted for this album um, in my rant. And, <laughs> and thank both of you for indulging me in that. So let's just turn right around and um, play uh, Mark's pick, Deliver Us from the Elements. And then when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll discuss that song a little bit before we move on to the next album. songs on this album that I sort of love and I will admit that I kind of didn't like them at first and uh, Deliver Us from the Elements is one of them it, you know it starts out with this this kind of droning sound that um, I don't know exactly what the instrument is or what, what to call that sound but it goes through the entire song and at first, I was I was like, no, I don't like this, but it it kept me. I mean, it pulls you through the entire song, and there's there's just this kind of uh, resonating, kind of pulsating energy through the entire the entire thing. And I ended up really really enjoying it. I ended up really loving this song. The other the other one was uh, human human alchemy. I I didn't care for that one at first, and and have really come to like it. I think it's I think I think it's a Mellotron or something like that and it's yeah. and it's and I think it's sort of not it's not just the song it somehow infects the whole of the, the album and I think it's why that sort of sense of mysteriousness that it creates sort of pervades the whole album in my head and it and it's it, it, you know it's almost pagan or you know it, it's taking you into a very it, different place it, and, yeah. and and unusual for Actually, if you said this was an Andy Partridge song, you, you I, I would believe you. But it's a Colin Moulding song, and and the way they've done it is 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 very just very unusual and and uh, uh, strange. And I think you it's said it, strange. That's all I like it. Yeah. You said it feels pagan. It definitely has like this ritualistic yeah. vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah. And human alchemy. I, I mentioned before about this idea about the the, the subject matter of XTC material. Human alchemy many many years before black lives matter was about the slave trade and you know hey let's make a pop song about the slave trade and 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 um they they managed to make very very weighty subjects um catchy is the wrong word but you know yeah. uh, there's the, 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 the holds your attention yeah i, I mean and they, they are still first and foremost pop songs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah 1984 sees the release of The Big Express. The Big Express was the first ecstasy album that I ever owned. 
and I was I was in way over my head. I you know I was I don't know 15 or 16, and I didn't I I had no idea what the fuck this album was about. <laughs> I was so confused by it, and so it probably it probably stopped me, uh, slowed me down like a year, year and a half, um, from like continuing on to seek out their, their music. I mean, there were, there were parts of it that I, that I really liked, but, um, I, w I was just so confused by it. And, and basically everything that I said about, um, murmur as far as the, uh, the ambivalence I feel about this album um, is is true for for the Big Express. Um, I, and I think it's interesting as well that uh, Mummer effectively prefigures Skylarking, which you'll talk about in a, in a future episode. Uh, Big Express seems to be like a continuation of the the hard sound. And by by that by the the mummer skylocking references I'm making, it's like that they go down a very bucolic uh, pastoral kind of path, whereas yeah. Big Ex Big Express is picking up on the kind of brutality and metal edge that that uh, they were exploring in, in in Black Sea and their their earlier albums. And so it's uh, the, I think it's typical of the band itself, actually, just as as a general observation that there there is a distinctive sound for, to every one of their albums. You you you, you oh yeah. It, it you you don't really confuse the albums because you know oh that's definitely a Mama sounding uh, one or that's definitely a Big Express sounding one. Um, yeah. Well, um, they. They go. I mean, they go. They push it so far. There, it, it almost feels like they're they're testing how far they can push the the sort of bombastic, abrasive, um, the the donkey song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like they they they're like, let's see, let's see just how far we can go with this fucker. <laughs> because it is it is i hated that song when i was a kid i have i've i've come to appreciate it's it in all of its sort of glorious absurdity it's a sort uh, of like a mad hillbilly song or something yeah. isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah so they've got they've got you know like children's songs and sea chanty type you know they're really kind of jumping from um uh, sensibility to sensibility in this in this album much more uh, I think than just about any other album um, I I have come to really appreciate side one of this album and still still have a hard time clicking with much on side mm -hmm, two mm -hmm. um, so Rob I am so excited to talk about your pick. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell tell us what song you picked. I picked Fiegel's Screaming Kisser Kisser. Mm. Um, I I love the energy in the song. It, it Actually, the song surprised me. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't remember ever hearing this song mm. until, until recently. Yeah. Yep. But... Um, I don't know. I like the en the energy. I like the way the songs put together. It it was kind of surprising and kind of uh, it, it, just fascinating to me. Yeah. Now, um, before we go into it, I I gained even a little more appreciation after listening to Mark's podcast because you guys did an episode where you talked about ecstasy covers. 
Oh yeah, and that was, somebody yeah. had covered this song, and even their song, which was quite different than what we're going to hear right now, was amazing. You know, yeah. um, so it it just kind of hooked me into really loving this tune. Yeah, well, um, by picking this song, you know what you did? What did I do? You uh, you chose to feature my all-time favorite ecstasy song. I love <laughs> this ecstasy song. If, if if this song wasn't on Big Express, there is a chance I would have stopped there, you know. But this song has always just absolutely, uh, like, spoken to me on a level that was so personal that it's like, you know how how you have things that you love that you passionately love that you go okay well i like this but nobody else is going to like this that's the yeah. way i always felt about this song and uh. over the years i've i've discovered that there are quite a few kindred souls out there i mean uh mm. so mark i was uh, one of my favorite episodes off of from your podcast is the one it's just a conversation from a bunch of young people oh, yeah. in their yeah. in their early 20s um it's a great episode and this is the song that one of them featured as like their pick to to talk about which was delightful and then um and i'm sure this is no surprise to mark um but I, uh, several years ago, uh, back when you actually went to music stores and rummaged through used CDs, I came across a Japanese female duo releasing albums in the 90s sort of alt-rock thing. The band name is... Uh, seagull screaming kisser kisser which i bought immediately um, <laughs> just in case i think i did the same thing <laughs> i'm like they named their band off of this song how can i pass it up um and honestly i'm not sure that i ever actually listened to it but oh. i just just recently i did go and um went on to spotify and checked out several of their songs and uh, other than the the band title, I, I, don't, I think it would be pretty hard for you to listen to any of their music and go, ooh, heavily influenced by ecstasy. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I thought as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Seagulls screaming, kisser, kisser. song 
Um, really good album. It ranks up pretty high um, for, for my favorite albums from this era. And it probably, uh, this album, Big Express, probably will rank pretty high um, in my, you know, total favorites of, of ecstasy albums. So, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Seagull Screaming, Kisser Kisser, just a, an amazing song. So, Mark, let's talk um, about the song that you picked. Uh, this is the uh, song that starts off the album um, called Wake Up. Yeah, this, it's uh, 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 well, like all of these songs, it's like who writes a song about people collapsing on the street or you know, somebody collapsing on the street? It's just not the sort of thing that you expect a, a song to be about. And the, you've got these amazing um, uh interchanging guitars if you listen to it and in, in, in with your headphones on in stereo you've got a, a, a guitars tightly uh, chopping and changing opposite each other on in, in either of your ears and uh, 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 it's a Colin molding song and it, 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 so Colin has a gift for, for melody but he's, he's he's just that sort of slice of life observational detail uh, as he observes uh, somebody uh, collapsing so so it, 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 and it, it's a great way to start um, you know the harshness of the of the song I suppose is a great way to start what what is a pretty tough album as we've been discussing Unfortunately, this is where our journey ends for, um, you know, the first half of Ecstasy's catalog, studio albums. Wow. Um, this, this episode was as much fun as I was hoping it was going to be. So thank you so much for being yeah. so generous with your time and your knowledge and your your. Um, your willingness to to bear through my very opinionated rants. Um, <laughs> well, thank tell- you very much for inviting me. Because and, and as you were saying as well, that it, 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 you don't often get the chance to speak to somebody who, who is like minded and um, has <laughs> yeah, the same yeah. the same shared field of references as well. So it's great for me too. Thank you. Great. Um, tell yeah. everybody how they can, you know, where where do you want our listeners to go to get more Mark Fisher? Your podcast, obviously, yeah, that's the starting and, place, right? Yeah. Um, a sort of catch-all place to go is, is xtclimelight.com, xtclimelight.com, which is my website, which you can find links to all the things that we would be talking about. The podcast is called What Do You Call That Noise? And it the XTC podcast and uh, it, it, it's on a, a site called Transistor but you can get it on Spotify and all your usual uh, podcast providers and on YouTube as well I, I stick it on YouTube too so, so it should be fairly ac- accessible uh, and you can get my two books as well <laughs> at, um, at uh, xtclimelight.com yeah yeah well um, Rob any last words no no um, I think we covered quite a bit although I just want to say 
thanks again for coming on and uh, keep up the good work, Mark. Thank you very much. Great talking to you both. Okay, everybody, um, that's it. We're taking next month off. Keep your eye open for a very special bonus episode. Um, otherwise, I guess we will talk to you when we talk to you. See ya. Bye. We stole the-